0: Welcome to Grizzle Pod episode 27. Thank you for joining us. We're brought to you by Y Charts. Got Scott Willis here. Hello. Tom George. We are Grizzle. Uh, We had, we're coming off an incredible stretch of interviews, Scott. We had phenomenal energy. Uranium chat with the one, the only Cuppy. If you've joined the Grizzle Pod because of that, thank you. Um, and you, I think this episode will be very, uh, very relevant for for those that uh, that were listening because of Cuppy. And and we we thank you for becoming a subscriber. Then we also had Mitch uh, from Marita Capital. That was a phenomenal interview. Related to the long-term long-term thesis view on cannabis, that's what really investors should focus on. So, two incredible interviews. you haven't listened to those, please listen to those. And uh, and new listeners from those, thank you for joining. And also, Scott, uh, we'd ask the listeners a, a favor: um, if if you're listening on uh, on on uh, iTunes, please give it the rating, uh, add a comment, let us know what you think. Really, that really helps uh, a ton.
1: It gets the it gets the word out. We got, we're yep. here to power you up and we're here to power everyone else up too. So let them know for us. Appreciate it. Yeah,
0: pre- Yeah. totally. So today's episode, let's start with the headline here. It's an energy crisis, electricity crisis. It's global, Scott. We've got two stock picks that people got to hear, but we're going to walk through the thesis, critical listening for those from the copy, Uh it's, it's a good segue from the Cuppy interview. We go further into the natural gas space, much much needed listening.
1: You know how we do it. Start at the high level, then drill down. So we're going to do that on the electricity and natural gas crisis. Now I'm going to take you through the, we got three more important topics. So number one, cannabis stocks awakened a bit this week and it wasn't for no reason at all. There's stuff happening in Washington you need to be aware of. So I'm going to update you and take you through why that matters. And then, you know, we don't just follow cannabis. We don't just follow energy we're following any sector that's hot and that's growing. And software as a service is one of the hottest markets. So I've noticed a trend in how investors are positioned there. And I wanted you to know about it too. So I'm gonna explain that a little more. And then lastly, we got to talk about Bitcoin. There's been some positive news, some negative news this week. The, the cryptocurrencies themselves are volatile as usual. We're gonna go through the puts and takes and help you make sense of what happened this week in, in Bitcoin. So that is that, Gosh. Tom, is it? I think it's time for natural gas.
0: Yeah, let's kick it off. Energy crisis. Uh, World is short energy globally, and we're specifically talking natural gas, electricity, and so natural gas feeds into electricity. It's a big deal, Scott. It's going to have a significant impact on inflation. The alarm bells are loud and clear. Let's get through the headlines, all right? So in China, basically... Electricity shortages now are worsening. They're widening geographically. It's getting so bad that Beijing is now asking food processors like soybean crushing plants to shut down. That's wow. not good.
1: Yeah, that's crazy. That's like World War Two
0: type stuff. Yeah. And, uh, and moving to South Korea, they're raising electricity rates for the first time in eight years uh, on rising fuel costs.
1: Wow. And that's cares. important, right? Because electricity is kind of like everyone uses it. Everyone needs it. And so you're very careful about raising those prices because it can impact. There's people that are on the margin and they can't really absorb higher electricity prices. So it's a big deal if a government is is doing like a countrywide rise in rates.
0: Yeah. And these are, these are the big industrial com- countries, Korea and China, that produce all our stuff, man. All of it, you know what I mean? Like from cars, to all all of the things that, you know, all the electronic, whatever, you know, there's a high probability it's coming from China and Korea. Ch- China ain't
1: shutting down the teddy bear factory. Apparently they're shutting down <laughs> the soybean factory. That's that's right. <laughs> Got to keep your priorities. Uh, Americans, we need our
0: teddy bears, our other plastic stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> uh, and then here, here's the uh, here's the gut kick in Britain, which uh, it's, it's been, it, the crisis has been very real there on the electricity side. They're looking at potentially rationing energy and forcing a three-day work week. This is like, wow, that's serious. I wonder what huge. that
1: means in work from home, though. <laughs> like they must, there must be enough people back at the offices that that really makes a difference. But if you're thinking about actually cutting energy use, you know that if everyone's just at their house versus the office, there's not a huge change in energy use. I mean, there is industrial processes, but um, they that would be pretty crazy
0: if they actually went through with that oh yeah you you know it's the feed through whether work from home or not you you know going to a three day work it's it's pretty wild that's when you know things are bad yeah so this is the backdrop guys this is global in in nature we're going to walk you through how this has happened where why we're here and uh how to play it with two two stocks that we view are well positioned uh for that uh for the coming natural gas continued rise in natural gas pricing
1: yeah, so let's kick it off looking at prices globally, all right? Because there's there's a U.S. situation, and then there's the rest of the world situation. So we have this good chart here, if you're listening on the pod. It just shows what prices have done the last two years. Maybe, Tom, you want to talk through it a bit.
0: Yeah, so basically, this looks at global pricing. So, this is, uh, so we're looking at global gas prices. This is basically looking back from May of 2020. Uh, we're at a point where basically global prices were all the same, whether Japan or, you know, wherever, right? Your Asian spot markets, all of all of the prices were effectively the same. This is what but I love about saw... gas
1: because it's all the same. So it's priced the same globally. If you look at other commodity markets, it depends on how light or heavy the oil is and all these nuances. And so this is much more simplified. It's nice. China, Japan, US, all the same price.
0: Right, exactly. And then, so the big difference in the natural gas market is that it's regional, right? So in in America, that's it. so Henry Hub is the benchmark in America. So you can get uh, you, you can get a um, a dynamic where it's uh, it's relatively balanced in North America, but very tight globally, and that's exactly what we've seen. So right now, we're sitting at a situation where basically um, natural gas is now at like five dollars, just over five dollars, five dollars and fourteen cents. Now, if you look globally, Scott, that price is closer to $20 in Japan.
1: I feel like I should explain a little bit why they're regional. Because if you look at oil markets, it's not really regional, right? We ship oil all over the world. The reason is gas is not at that point where we've figured out how to liquefy it in big enough scale that you can just ship it. Say, Turkey needs a little extra gas while the U S can just ship it to them. It's moving towards that like the oil market, but still a lot of gas that's produced is produced in, within that country. And it moves on a pipeline is consumed in that country. So that's why you can get these big mismatches down the road. There should be one big global, uh, gas market and gas pricing like oil, but we're in the early days of that.
0: Yeah. And we're going to say that that really has to do with liquefied natural gas yes. and and, and shipping we'll, we'll talk
1: that. more about that later in the
0: podcast. Yeah. So this is the backdrop, okay? So this is why, uh, this is what's happening globally. You're getting a pinch uh, right now in in global prices for natural gas, but in North America, they're still relatively subdued on this relative basis.
1: Yeah. And, I man, it's a big difference. So we had $5 in the U.S. and 20 elsewhere. So be happier in the U.S. if you're listening to this from North America. Yeah, that's uh, right. And then... I guess we, we have another longer term chart that's just U.S. natural gas prices to show how, yes, there's been spikes in, you know, prior cycles, but looking historically, prices are still pretty low, even though they've gone from two to four to two to five yeah. in the last year.
0: Yeah, this is so looking back at natural gas, pull up the graph of it, you know, go, go really far back, 91. You know, uh, I think this one goes back that far, right, Scott? Mm-hmm. Um, if you look, there's clearly a base and an incredible floor for natural gas that everyone as an investor should really take, right? Every time it's hit that around $2 mark per mm MMBTU, it's just been an incredible base that you can just back the truck up and that it worked this time as well, Scott. It's just been an incredible floor for pricing. So uh, something for investors to really consider, always keep natural gas on the periphery and, know that you back the truck up at two bucks.
1: There's an interesting story built into this chart too, because it shows that natural gas prices were starting to get higher and higher. Oh, two to oh eight. And then you see it went back down and stayed at that $2 range. The reason that is, is because of shale oil. So there's right. when you produce a shale oil well, there's lots of excess gas produced as well. And there at one point there was so much they were just flaring it off, meaning burning it in the air, not even using it. So that's why you saw starting in 08, gas prices fell with the global recession, but then they kept falling and have kind of stayed around too because of shale. But now you have a situation where, well, oil prices fell because of COVID then there's less oil drilling, and that means less gas drilling. So that's, that's part of what's contributing to the rise in, in uh, gas prices in the U.S.
0: Yep. and uh, so if you, if you are bullish oil uh, because the view that uh, th- the shale shut-ins that we've seen are gonna be more permanent in nature, well then by definition, Scott, you are bullish natural gas.
1: Yes, so now these two charts have been prices, but what determines prices to some extent is inventories. How much gas and oil do we have stored? So we have yep. some nice charts to put that in perspective, looking at Europe versus the U.S. Yep. So Europe, easy story to tell, right, Tom? Talk, I'm talking through this one.
0: Yeah. So yeah, this is so we're we're at, we're at, we're in a tight situation. So right now, this is really the story, right? So European gas le- gas storage levels are very low. Uh, this uh, basically shows what it's. So what we're what we're seeing here is so typically at this time of year, you are typically around eighty to eighty to ninety percent storage, and right now we're sitting at seventy. So. That you know that that leaves the market very tight. So r- what's happening is we're it's a tight global gas market triggered by a cold long winter that you know that that are, people are foreseeing. So there's strong competition for LNG cargos. We're seeing low storage levels. That's what we're seeing here, and then constrained natural gas flows from Russia to Europe. And that this is really this is really putting together what's pushing prices to record highs globally.
1: Yeah, this this inventory chart is nice because it puts all that together into one easily identifiable chart. And you may think, okay, 75% full versus 90 doesn't sound that different. But remember, energy markets are very uh, well matched with supply and demand. And so small differences and mismatches in supply and demand have big impacts on price. Yeah, So that's what we're seeing.
0: Yeah and and right now Europe it's Europe is struggling to find enough gas to to meet demand and also fill storage right to to historical average levels they're competing directly with Asia which is also experiencing a shortage of natural gas so that thus you come back to our what we talked about originally we've seen this pricing spike from uh the basically you were at a point of 5 bucks right like to to like basically you were at 2 bucks back in May 20 made 2020 for everything, Scott. And now we're at 20 bucks for a uh, global, uh, global natural gas prices. Not Henry hub. Yeah. Wow.
1: And I know outside the U S right there, they're even more heavily reliant on gas for power. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Let's look at the inventory situation in the U S because it kind of lines up with the price difference we've seen in the U S versus Europe and the rest of the world. If you look at there's a, so there's a gray area that shows the range, the highs and the lows in the last five years of storage in the U S and then the, there's a blue line that is, uh, most recent it's this year. And so you can see that we're kind of on average. If you, over the last five years for storage, storage was way above because of COVID there was less demand, yep. but now that people are, you know, back to work, back out driving, things don't look out of the ordinary in the storage space. But the thing is, as we talked about that liquefied natural gas and exporting, that means that if the rest of the world needs more gas and we have the ability to export it, and that could take some of the supplies out. So you, you need to look not at what's happened, but what may happen. So this chart looks totally normal now, but it may not look totally normal three, six months from now.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, and, right, so you, and this is a globally competitive market, right? So if you're going to see this kind of differential, between American and global prices, the the sucking sound is to take that natural gas onshore American and, and send it global.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's we know that there's been too much gas in in North America for a long time, and so all those producers they would love to export it. They like they got more than enough. They 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 would produce every meal uh, thousand cubic feet that anyone needed if they could. Yep. So we we have another chart just showing why the US, the LNG market and the gas market is going global. We have here LNG exports from the US. And it just shows that up until 2016, there were none. It's, this is such a new market that, you know, the technology was becoming mature to build an LNG liquefaction facility, which is where you cool down natural gas And it goes from a gas to a liquid. Then you can put it on a tanker and move it around like oil. That's really expensive. It uses a lot of electricity. It's complicated. So it takes years and billions of dollars to build these things. So you kind of, the industry started to come into its own in 2014, 15. There was a lot of money being thrown. Then in 2016, once the facilities were built down on in Louisiana and Texas, you see exports come through. So we've seen a big jump up. It went from zero to... What is that 300 billion cubic feet we're running yep. at now in 2021? This is only going to go up. Remember, natural gas is becoming an international commodity. And so yep. LNG is going to be a bigger part. You just move it to where the demand is.
0: Yeah. And, you know, w- one thing that we haven't touched on, I think everyone has to understand here is our view is that natural gas is the is the uh, premier uh, transition fuel to a low carbon society ultimately that's if that's where 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 we want to head and the reason being very simply it should be putting uh, coal out of business and it is putting coal out of business and it has half the CO2, uh, half the particulate matter. I've spent a lot of time looking at this. There's no question. There's no reason we should be using coal anymore, Scott. Like none. Um and you know the the problem that we we're, we're in right now, we don't have enough baseload globally. And that's because we've we've taken a view that you can go from a world of lots of baseload type of power, you got nuclear, coal, natural gas, and then magically transform to a world with where a lot of your grid now is intermittent, right? Wind, solar, et cetera. It just doesn't happen like that. So we've, and this is a big part of the reason we are in, we are entering a real electricity and an energy crisis that you need baseload, And we have to make choices, right? And what we, we are pragmatic. We ought, when, you know, our calls are always thinking about with the long view of where, where things are headed, but we prac being pragmatic presents you opportunities because you know where the puck will go when, when, re- when, when people really get their heads around it and say, listen, wait a minute, we need electricity first and foremost, right? Yeah. You can't shut everything down.
1: I think people are forgetting that the world is starting to forget. It's called the energy transition. It's not the energy switch, right? You have to the transition. <laughs> so everyone's thinking you can go from oil and coal to just la la land where green pastures and windmills and everything and you can't it's it's very very hard to do that almost impossible so we're realists we want this to happen we want to eventually get there and the only way to do it is you got to kill the coal moving to gas transitioning through and then you get to a point where you've totally figured out the windmills yep. and the solar panels and the storage everything like that but right now governments are trying to go too fast the other way and just say we're going to be all solar by this year. Well, that's right. There, there's you know, there's a trade off to that, and we're seeing that now with the energy
0: crisis. Absolutely, absolutely.
1: All right. So, I just wanted to mention, it, looking at the chart. Well, we're talking about LNG, the big LNG producer on you know developed market stock markets is Cheniere. They're based out of the U.S. And yes. just looking at their stock price, it tells some interesting stories about the transition through uh, what people believed the value of Chenier was as they were ramping up their export capacity because there was certain things going on and the stock price makes it look like it was going crazy, but it really was much simpler than that. So I'll, I'll take you through it. I was deep in the industry in 2010 to 2013 and everyone was getting very excited about LNG because remember the whole world needed a lot of natural gas, especially Japan. They just had that tsunami and it knocked out all their nuclear. So they needed a ton of of energy and they were getting it from oil. They, but they didn't want it from that. So everyone was like, man, if we can ship them LNG, some natural gas, they're going to need it. But, as, as markets generally do, they get ahead of themselves sometimes. So Chenier was starting to ship actual volumes out in 2016, but you see what the stock right. did. It went from like $10 at the end of 2011 all the way to 86 in 2014. And that was everyone just saying, oh my God, these are going to be the guys supplying the world. It's going to be amazing. There's not enough LNG. Right. But then reality set in where it was going to take longer with permitting to build new capacity and maybe, you know, Japan turned back on some of their reactors. So there was, you know, a little dip in demand. So the stock went all the way back down to $24. But now where we sit today, it kind of went back up from there. We had COVID. So that's out of the ordinary. If there hadn't been COVID, it never would have dipped. So you can ignore that. Now where's it sitting? $94. $94. So really, yeah. what ended up happening is everything did play out the way that that you would have expected. You would just right. have to hold through the market getting way too exuberant in the stock, yeah. that coming back down and overshooting, and now we see that Cheniere has been a winner in LNG and it will continue to be because where's the low cost gas player in um, in the around the globe? It's the U.S. and North America. Cheniere's right here.
0: Yes, yeah, so Scott. This actually brings me to a great point of just about trading and investing in general, right? Just, just a especially when you're investing in high volatile markets, commodities. Uh, define that, right? It's so easy to get FOMO, right? I talk, I talk about this a lot, right? I talk about the hockey stick chart, right, Scott. I always just say I've never made money on the hockey stick chart. <laughs> you know, the the chart that I make a ton of money on long term is that chart that's just gently rising, right? Think Adobe, think, uh, think Google. That think. Visa Visa is the greatest chart. Visa, go go pull up Visa twenty years. Yeah. Th- that's the chart that makes you money. But so this is that whole idea of not getting caught in FOMO. Way easier said than done, obviously, right? Yeah. But this is what you need to train yourself as an investor to say: Am I in FOMO? Is this potentially am I in a FOMO situation? And if I am, you know, I need to call a buddy. I need to do something. Whatever. It, it's kind of like you know, it's like AA, right? You call call a friend. <laughs>
1: It could be brutal if you if you get sucked into this FOMO too, because with Chenier, if you had bought it eighty six, well, yes, it's now above eighty-six. You would have a seven year window to get your money back to break even. What yeah. else what has the market done since then? It's been up quite a bit. So this is this is the risk. But Tom, there was one chart you forgot about, the um the U turn chart, where oh, yeah. in commodity markets you can make a lot of money on the U turn chart where Some company is bombed out for some reason or other or a whole sector and then it comes back. There's lots of catch-up trades in commodities. Not so much in winners like a Visa or an Adobe. That's that other type of play. But being in commodity markets as long as we have, there's lots of catch-up trades where you can make a lot of money.
0: Yeah, we and we call we we've uh, categorized it as the catch up trade, which uh, which we're going to talk about a couple stocks that we feel are fit the category. But um, it uh, Cuppy really talked about it. Well, just really getting to that point of event driven, catalyst driven, just being at the, you know, just not having capital be j- just too lazy. You can you can let the first leg go, but then you just want to be in size and being there.
1: Yeah, exactly. So maybe we should talk about the two stocks we've identified we think can play off this gas shortage LNG diversification theme
0: for sure. All
1: right, let's, let's check it out here. They are everyone. So do you want to talk about one and I'll talk about uh, the other?
0: Yeah. You know, we can keep it super simple. We really simple, right? So arc resources on the Canadian side, Super high quality operator. Uh, so I was on, uh, you know, I was covering energy, Canadian energy, also global. Scott was uh, strong on the U.S. on the U.S. side. So for for me, uh, operators, you know, the DNA of a strong operator. Scott, I think you'd agree. Like that's just that's something that's built within the company, right? And and that for me, I, when you identify a good operator in the patch, it's easy, right? And. When secondarily you've identified a good operator that uh, is now lagging the, the the commodities, simple as that. Uh, we just think that there's a huge opportunity there. So Arc Resources is the play in Canada. Uh, we we'll talk. We can we, in future episodes we'll talk more details around that. Uh, I think uh, I'm, I'm we we're gonna have some interesting pods around the energy patch, Scott. So I think we'll leave leave the details around how we can think about different plays in Canada, but, uh, but I think I just want to leave that, that arc is one of the the names we feel is undervalued relative to peers in, in the Canadian patch. And specifically, it's a very well-run company. They do have more hedges than other, uh, other producers, but those are all going to roll off. It's all gonna be the same deal in, in six months. So, um, we think this is the stock to watch.
1: Yeah. So it, we like this one because it produces gas, a lot of gas, Uh, it's a low cost producer. And again, when they've shown that they can operate over a long period of time, you don't want to have hiccups where, you know, they miss expectations. You just want them to keep doing their thing slow and steady. And then you've made a call on the commodity itself. And then they're going to benefit from that. That's right. That ticker is one of those.
0: Yeah. So it's arc resources ticker is ARX in Toronto.
1: Yep. ARX. And then the other one coming from a U.S. bank background, which I've followed for a long time, is range resources. This is one of those ones that has so much gas. They're a low-cost producer in the country. The issue they had, you know, seven, eight years ago was they, they had way too much gas and no way to get it out of the Marcellus, which is in the northeast U.S. And so there just wasn't the demand to build these expensive pipelines to get it to where it needed to go but you remember we're bullish on demand for gas overall. We think we're gonna generate more of our electricity from gas as we transition towards renewable energy. So range will continue to be that low cost provider and they have great acreage, meaning there's lots of gas on the ground. So this is another one where it's been very beaten down over the last few years, but with gas getting a bid and there's a shortage around the world, if we're exporting more LNG, that means there's gonna be more need for range resources resource fantastic so
0: those are the two stock picks ticker there is rrc Yep, correct RRC, yeah so arx nice.
1: and rrc
0: yeah uh so go. those are the yeah you know we'll uh we'll keep, keep piling picks right you, if you guys follow us uh that's why uh stay tuned to the uh grizzle weekender uh it's grizzle.com forward slash subscribe uh we lay out all our picks there uh we're not shy about it uh and if you uh we Scott, we haven't mentioned on the pod. I, you know what? This it, is a big plug because we because uh, we, we've we've had a lot th- a lot of things going on. Scott hit a grand slam with uh, IPOs. You guys know us for IPOs. Uh, talk about it, Scott. Bros ticker.
1: Bros, uh, Dutch brothers. It's the coffee. I was calling it the Starbucks for the next generation. So I I love finding these consumer companies because it's much simpler to break down for everyone than a software company or someone doing something high tech. They make these coffee drinks that are somewhat unique. Millennials love it. Young women love it. 70% of their customers are young women. So this is one of those ones they have a ton of room for growth. They're a fraction of the size of Starbucks. They can grow for a long time. They're only in the West Coast and people love their drinks. I was like, Boom, we're we're on it. So it IPOed at around twenty two, I think, and That's I said it could go as high as eighty. I kind of blended it with you know nothing's hundred percent. So yep. there's some downside probabilities. There's upside. The way you do it as a pro is you say there's probabilities of each case. Let me weight that all. And what That's I right. came to is I said it could. It was easily worth forty we our target price was 60 well it started running right away i got to 40 on like day 2 it hit yeah. 60 day 5 it's still up there in the i think the low 50s something like that so the market woke up and saw that this is a quality yeah. company this is one to watch yes it ran really hard but there's a lot of there's 10 15 years of growth ahead so that was that yeah. was a nice
0: one yeah. And so if, if for, for those who have followed us, uh, obviously, IPOs are our calling card. Uh, you know, that's from day one from beyond me. Uh Then, you know, then we uh, it was Uber, uh, the Lyft, Lyft, DoorDash. All of it. Exactly. Everything. We, we would, we would review them all. Right. And we would say thumbs up, thumbs down. So, and we, you know, we called all the, uh, ride sharing ones correctly, thumbs down and you, basically through the, through the whole piece. Right. And, and, uh, you know, we, we've, we've hit some monsters, uh, on the psychedelic side, uh, compass pathway. So a lot of them have been, uh, 100% hits right off the bat, but that's, you know, that's what we're known for. Uh, so that's the reason, uh, you should subscribe grizzle.com for so subscribe, but, uh, that was just a, a recent banger that Scott nailed on that. And, uh, yeah. Exc- uh, exciting, man! Nice, nice, nice hit there. Yeah, Scott.
1: there's it's a hot IPO market, so there'll be a lot more to come. Uh, we've been doing these little two minute videos, giving you our valuation opinions, and also telling you what the companies do. I'd say bang for your bucks; it's the best way to get up to speed on these things. It just saves you a lot of time instead of reading. A lot of people like to write these really big long reports. You don't, you don't need that. You just need the key um, information, and you're good, good to start. For sure.
0: All right, what what's the last thing we got well- here? Well, that was energy guys. Uh, so yeah, that, that was, uh, that was a, that was a good spot. Hopefully everyone, uh, enjoyed that walkthrough of the, of the whole complex. What do we got next guys? Oh, uh, Software. We got to talk
1: about software as a service. I, I'm seeing a trend in how investors are positioned and how they think about software as a service. And so I wanted to explain that to you guys in two charts here. So there's this really good newsletter. Uh, I subscribe to that they have this chart they update every week they break down valuations, which is the multiple of sales or the multiple of cash flow. It's how you say if a stock is cheaper, expensive. They yeah. look at that based on growth. So they have a high growth bucket, a mid growth bucket, and a low growth bucket. I want it, I, I'm I bringing your attention to what multiples looked like in May when the industry had sold off from its February highs. And this was kind of the low we've had of the year. So high growth was at 20 times sales. Mid growth was at 12 and low growth was at five. Now let's look at where we are now. High growth has gone to 35, mid growth has gone to 14 and a half, and low growth has gone to five and a half. So we can see the trend is high growth stocks have bounced back a lot in price, and that's right. been driven by the multiple going up. So just on the numbers, high growth stock multiples are up 70% from that May low, while mid and low growth are only up 20%. So what this is telling me, the way the market thinks of software as a service is high growth, good company, mid or low growth, not good company. And so they're willing to pay a lot more. And so as long as a company can keep showing revenue growth, either accelerating or just at a high level, the market's willing to pay a lot of money. You see here, they're paying 35 times sales versus the, the mid growth is only 15. So a very big gap. So what and, I think and,
0: and Scott, can you just uh for, for the listeners, could you highlight what is high growth? Like what what kind of sales growth numbers are we looking at? Like, like hundred yeah, percent, like yeah, between how-
1: sixty and sixty and up, like okay, best so, of the best that, would be hundred and fifty percent. But then they're usually when they IPO, they're right around, you know, 120, 100. Then it's falling to 80, 65 over the next year or two. Mid growth is below twenty percent. Uh, I actually, you know, I think it's 30% between 15 and 30 and then low growth is below 15%. Got it. Yeah. So it's, it just shows that this market is somewhat of a simplistic market for investors. They're just looking at growth. And so I think there's a big opportunity if you're willing to dig in and find these mid growth companies or even low growth that you think they're going to re-accelerate their growth. That's where the big money is going to be made. And it's not easy because you do have to dig into some of the fundamentals of the company and say, well, I think things are changing, but that's where you're going to make the most money versus buying a really expensive stock. Because as we've seen, I posted something on Zoom today. Zoom's estimates for next year have come down only one and a half percent since their earnings, but the stock is down 20%. So when you have an expensive stock and estimates miss by even
0: a little bit, the stock falls a lot. And that's the problem with the high growth darlings. Uh, typically, is that you know, as soon as the whiff comes, that growth isn't kind of come through. Like Peloton's a classic example there, right? Where uh, you know, just you get you know, and a growth investors like, oh wait, you know, the, the whole tectonic plates have, have shifted, and you know, I'm out of this. Whereas, uh, which I think it starts to get interesting, right? So for us, I think Scott's really highlighted a very interesting way to look at this is that if you can find names. Um, that have that miss, right? That quarterly miss. Basically, the multiple just comes back down. It now goes from high growth to mid. But you're like, wait a minute, you know, there there's enough here to reaccelerate this. That's where the money's made.
1: Yeah. So I would look at Snap as one example. Theirs wasn't right, as much a classic. So theirs was a little unique because revenue didn't necessarily accelerate their, uh, sorry, revenue did their growth in users didn't accelerate, but this is where you have to dig a little bit deeper. It looked like they weren't adding anyone new, but they were making a ton more money off the people they did have. So revenue picked back up and look at what that stock's done the last year. So that's a perfect example of if you can find that diamond where people say, this is a 20% grower and it turns out, Oh, it's a 30% grower. Well, you're going to make a lot of money. Yeah. 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 So that's, that was just interesting. I'm always looking for trends in software, and I think that's the way people are looking at software right now. It's very simplistic. You grow fast, you're a great company, I'm going to pay a lot. Makes sense. Yep. All right,
0: Bitcoin time, huh? Yeah, yeah. So talk, obviously, lots of puts and takes here this week on all all of this, right? And uh, you, so we're, we're at Bitcoin right now, uh, so crypto sitting at, Forty-two thousand and change. Uh, you know, just just for uh, comparison, gold is at seventeen hundred. A uh, lot of things coming coming and going. Scott, what, what, where where are we? How are we going to frame this up for everyone?
1: So, I, how about I, I'll talk about some of the the negatives and what I think about them, and you can talk yep. about some of the positives you've heard with Twitter and and other things. So the big negative news that came out today is why the stocks were down last night was China, Mm -hmm. again, just came out more publicly. I think their central bank or some, some banking association said, crypto is illegal you can't you can't have an exchange you can't trade it they've already been cracking down on mining in the country so you've seen a lot of the miners leave so the market was weaker on that but if you think about it this is it is a pretty deep market at this point it's a global market so you got to shake it out because yes if there's less mining in china if there's less people trading it there's billions of people there so there's yeah. going to be less demand for now but that'll get reabsorbed otherwise because we know that the crypto market in general is here to stay. So I wouldn't be that worried that it's the end of the Bitcoin price or crypto. Uh, they just have to deal with that. You've seen even with the mining, uh, mining has fallen off a cliff in China, yeah. but that just means better profits for everyone else mining. And a lot of those mining rigs have just moved to Texas and other places where energy is cheap.
0: Yeah, it, you know, and it's not like a new story, right? We know like China's a planned planned government. This is not, this is not something they want they don't want uh you know they don't want a libertarian currency floating around <laughs>
1: they don't want when anything's <laughs> out of their control that's what they hate the most so yeah they've been they've been so, saying it's they've been getting hard on it for more than a few years
0: yeah so yeah it just feels like this story just comes back you're like wait a minute but they, they didn't like all of this stuff ages anyhow so um but i, I uh, just first
1: paus- i have one chart to, to show that that it's been going on for a little while I have here a chart that's just showing the share of crypto mining by country. And so you can see this goes back to, um, let's see, September of 2019 until April of this year. So it misses when China really cracked down. So there's been a big change since April. But it just shows that even since 2019, China's been cracking down on mining. And so China used to be 80% of mining around the world. Already by April of 2021, it was down to 50%. I think now it could be you know, below 30%, something like that. So, you know, capital, crypto capital and um, mining and activity has been moving away from China for a while. And this happened in the backdrop of the the Bitcoin price going from, you know, 30K to 65K. So, yeah.
0: And so the positives, uh, so just a, just a couple things that, uh, well, I think meaningful things, right? So, uh Robinhood earlier this week announced that they're going to launch cryptocurrency wallets. Uh, so I think that's a, I think it's an important thing here, right? And so what what is a crypto? So basically, what what the, what these wallets will allow? It's going to allow clients to consolidate their digital coins onto one account, Scott, and then they can trade and send and receive the cryptocurrencies from, say, on their Robinhood account, that one account to. Uh, to and from other wallet addresses. So this already this functionality is already on Coinbase. A lot of doge dogecoin users uh you know a lot of crypto users on the Robinhood platform were demanding this because the 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 way the the reality is that the if there was ever um, any sort of um, hack or whatever it, their coins are exposed because they're they're sitting on on a on a, on on um, Robinhood's platform, so net net, I think that's a big positive. And then further to that, than what we've seen is yesterday, what we saw was basically now Twitter is allowing tipping. So there's a, a functionality now on Twitter if you um, it, you know you can you can enable it that you know say you're an influencer or whatever and you want you, people can give you tips or whatever. Now you can send you can pay them in Bitcoin, and that's pretty. So this is
1: just the whole thing about the usage of cryptocurrencies is going to be increasing. You saw, remember, when Bitcoin hit its high, it was because Tesla was saying they were going to accept it for cars and other big corporations were coming out and saying, we're going to put Bitcoin on our balance sheet along with cash. So whenever you get that uh, news flow of usages going up, it's usually very bullish for the price of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies.
0: Yeah, for sure, and and you know, just it's just having a use case that's just not you know end of the world is is, is useful, right? And and uh, and that w- the other part about that is is that that's the differentiator between that this is really what becomes a differentiator between gold, right? And this is that constant pull and tug between gold and Bitcoin um, store of wealth realistically when you add functionality and utility to one of them or more functionality and utility to one of them, uh, it just becomes, uh, you know, it becomes a, a superior alternative, right. And right now I cannot, um, or not easily, right. I can't, uh, you know, tip anyone, I can't send uh, money to a, a Twitter user in gold, right? Uh, so the more of this gets ingrained, you know, this is obviously one specific use case, but the more of this gets ingrained across different aspects of the economy and digital currencies made made to be easier to transact then you know give me giving you a gold coin, Scott, and saying keep the change (laughs) yeah it's much harder
1: to talk about you know the value of something when it's just a store of value argument like gold people think it is value so does value but if you're using gold to buy a bunch of coffee or something well then there's another argument to be made why gold is valuable it just makes it easier to support that bitcoin should be worth what it's worth and should be increasing in, in value and price
0: yeah so just to review again uh Grizzle's uh, house view. Uh, we are we are long, we are long Bitcoin. We are long gold. Uh, but specifically, we view this as an insurance bet, Scott. We the bulk of our show is always talking about growth, growth opportunities, opportunities to find growth, because that is where you make money. And and uh, once you get too far down the rabbit hole of becoming a bitcoiner or a gold bug, bad things start to happen. You start to view, you start to get up every day. You start to be groggy. You start to view the world in a in a net in in. in I, w- I want to see rose colored glasses. But see whatever the, what's, the, what's the opposite of that?
1: Yeah. The, foggy I, I, foggy <laughs> glasses or something. You know,
0: um, disaster having,
1: covered glasses.
0: Oh, totally. So I managed a precious metals fund. Uh, it was one of the largest, one of la- it's one of the largest in Canada. And by definition, if you run a me- precious metals fund, a uh, large precious metals fund in Canada, you are running one of the largest ones in the world. So I got to meet my fair share of gold bugs and, uh, you know, all great people, you know, very well versed in history, Scott, but uh, very, uh, pessimistic right they're they're moving
1: from crisis to crisis right that's how they live their lives the next crisis is is just on the horizon
0: yeah exactly and and when you you know and which is all fine well and good and you you want to make sure you're keeping an eye out for that but the other more important part is well where's the world world progressing and fuck the world's great you you know what when you wake up every day and say the world is great great things are happening uh Think about like sitting on anything and missing Google, missing, missing all of the great technological advancements and, and not being invested in that stuff. That would suck.
1: Yeah. And that whole problem was valuation for a lot of people. They said, oh, they're so expensive, but they were looking at at them on a lens of an old, a GE or a GM. That's right. All it turned out is Google was going to knock the lights out on any results you could have expected. So it was never actually expensive.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, that's it truly comes down to that. And it just uh, again, this is what Grizzle does. We focus on growth and, you know, we think the lens of growth is very different than uh, than the old lens of growth because things are happening so quickly. The disruption happens very fast. And, you know, just look at look at where Zoom was and where they are now. One COVID uh, you know, global pandemic, and look look at the uh, look at the ship uh, the the seats have changed so quickly on the uh, on the global cruise ship, if you will.
1: That's the beauty of of software too. When you look at how like it, they just can infinitely scale with very low costs and so quickly, so you can have things like that where the world changes a bit, and then this one company is a different company now. So yeah, it's it's exciting with technology.
0: And the the other part of why technology is so powerful, it's capital light, Scott capital.
1: Yeah, it it's, lets it, you be very nimble compared to you don't have to build new facilities. You just, you have some code you built. Yeah. Well, you can send a million bits of
0: code or one bit of code. It's, it's all yeah, the yeah. same. For sure. Um, and on the other side of not so capital light, but a great company to follow is Costco. Uh, that is, uh, you know, that's a great example of a company just doing blocking and tackling right and getting, you know, it's just, uh, it's it's a great company to Look at just to really understand it. in the traditional sense of a business, how you crush it when you delight
1: your customers You win a lot of times.
0: That's right And, and when you and, and when you make that part of the dna yeah. of the company, yeah.
1: yeah so just before we go on bitcoin I wanted to mention how you know the recent bitcoin price action may impact some of these stocks The exchanges to be exact the Robinhoods, okay. the Coinbase's, bases voyager dig- digitals another one So I just want to take you back to the price So you see, we had a big price spike in the early 2021. We hit 65,000. Then it came off in this latest quarter. So, you know, we got through the first quarter, second quarter of the year. We're now in the third quarter of the year. So what is this going to mean for the exchanges? Because if you remember Coinbase went public and they had massive growth, all these new users were signing up, everyone to trade crypto, but that depends on the price. You know, a lot of people do watch the price So with the price off, we have some interesting data that I just saw today on app downloads of these different users. Remember a lot of people interact with Coinbase and Robinhood and Voyager through apps. So you can't just look at downloads on the internet to know what what demand is like. So I have three charts on downloads for those three, just to show you, 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 we could be expecting some weak earnings overall in the third quarter. And uh, these charts will help you kind of get ahead of that. So number one is Robinhood. So we have first quarter, second quarter, 2021. So last quarter they did 8.5 million of downloads. They're on pace through September 16th. So, I mean, we're almost done with the third quarter. There's another two yeah. weeks, 1.5 million downloads, 8.5 to 1.5. So Stonks. Then, that's, that's a big difference, right? So w- downloads isn't usage. I obviously they make money from people trading, but it is growth. So if people That's aren't great. downloading your app, you're not bringing on new customers. So I would just be prepared for Robinhood. They've already guided that third quarter will be down, but I would not be going hard on this stock into that earnings because you never know if it can be even worse than people expected. Because I mean, this is a right. big drop. Yeah. Let's look at Coinbase. If they saw the same thing. Basically the same thing. They had 14.7 million downloads in last quarter. They're on pace for 4.3 million. So it's the yeah. same percentage kind of drop there. But if you look before Bitcoin went crazy earlier in the year, they were at that same level. So they're kind of back to a normal run rate for them, but yeah. still is the market pricing in this big of a drop. And now lastly, Voyager Digital. Interesting, hmm. much smaller exchange. <clears throat> and a pe- people that we respect like Voyager more than a Coinbase for a, di- a few different reasons, which we've talked about. And Voyager's looking pretty strong here. They had a million downloads last quarter. They're only down to eight hundred thirty thousand. So wow. Voyager may be the outperformer this earnings season.
0: And it's much smaller, obviously. So you yeah. you can you you know you can get people leaving a platform and coming here and, and it 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 doesn't even have to follow industry trends, right? It's just yeah. you know, it's just winning.
1: I think Robinhood is most exposed because if you just dig into the numbers, they made so much of their money from crypto, especially like Dogecoin. So they made most of their money, their growth, at least, was from options trading and crypto trading. So if wow. there's less options trading going on this quarter and crypto prices were down and less trading, especially in Dogecoin, it was pretty yeah, weak, yeah. that's going
0: to hit their bottom line hard. Yeah, it would be super fascinating. Um Yeah, Uh well, Scott, the... the fantastic run through everything uh, this week just uh, what's coming down the pipe stay tuned uh, we'll, we'll have details out I think uh, but it, it, for those who are on Twitter uh, spaces is like a how do you how would you categorize spaces like if you had to describe what space Twitter spaces are Scott
1: it's like uh, if you go to a conference and you have kind of like a roundtable discussion and you're and there's yeah. people in the audience and then there's speakers up on on the stage it's that in a digital world. So exactly. if you haven't used it, it's cool. You come in and you listen to the speakers. And if you have a question, you can raise your hand, come up, speak as well. It's a very dynamic uh, w- way to kind of um, have conversations.
0: It's Twitter's uh, answer to Clubhouse, if if you guys know Clubhouse. So, yeah, and, and we found it. It's a great platform. We just had one last week on cannabis, which was off the hook. We had it was over at, at its peak. It was over 300 people in the room. It was it was, uh, it was great. It was lots of great conversation. So we're gonna we're gonna run it back. We're gonna do it this week again. So we, we'll a we're gonna talk about copper. That's coming up on Tuesday, and then we're gonna do an options 101 uh, on um, on Twitter Spaces as well. We'll we'll nail down dates and times. But the copper one's gonna be on Tuesday at 10 a.m. Just follow my account Thomas G underscore Grizzle or at Grizzle Media or Scott's account Scott W underscore Grizzle. And uh, you, you can uh, you can tune in that. So that's 10 a.m. on Tuesday uh, Eastern. So those that's Twitter spaces there. And uh, and then we're going to do an options one on one. I think that'll be great, Scott. Like we, we have a you know, we've done a lot of work on the option side, but I think um, there's always interesting ways to uh, to 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 make a trade work. And if you want to get juice, you want that juice. Uh, options are a way to get it.
1: And believe it or not, options sound really risky, but sometimes they can be the lower risk way to invest in something. And we're going to yep. explain that more in the spaces.
0: Yeah, for sure. And yeah, we we've got uh, we got someone uh, who knows this very well, who's going to join us uh, on actually uh, on on actually both. But uh, uh, Anish Chopra. So uh, he's uh, he used to be uh, head of uh, asset allocation at TD Asset Management, managing over 100 billion. Uh, Now he's at what? 100 billion, billion. (laughs) billion. 100 billion. All
1: All right. All right. I'm happy I'm all. tuning so, into the spaces.
0: Yeah, yeah, So so we're it'll be quite good. So um anyway, anyhow, uh, thank everyone for joining uh the Grizzle Pod. Uh again, uh big thank you for listening. And second, if you if you are on the iTunes, please do uh give it the review and uh, a rating that that that's huge for apparently the algorithm Scott. Apparently, more people can find us if yeah. that's the case.
1: That's what we hear. So we, we appreciate any feedback
0: you can give us. Thank you very much. Till so we do it again. Uh and we have more interviews down the pipe. Stay tuned. Grizzle.com forward slash subscribe. Get on the list. Thank you.
1: Grizzle out.